Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjo Gall. Hello and welcome to this segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And the topic for today is Rethinking Ethics for Digital. Talking about competitive advantage, learning how humans think, how do they make purchase decisions, what's going to happen in business next, what's going to happen in socio-political environment. For all those reasons, we try to use digital capabilities. But then, not everything that's legal, which is also serving the business interest, is ethical. Here we are about to talk about the ethical issues that might arise due to digital and how do you best tackle them. We have privacy at risk. Trust levels are not the greatest. So what are enterprises and organizations doing to rethink, reset, and maintain eventually a good high ethical standard as we go about exploiting digital? So to discuss this, we have Michael Peterson, who's the CIO with CSG Healthcare. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Great to have you. And we also have Frank Boutendijk, who is the Distinguished Vice President and Analyst with Ga- and, and also a Gartner Fellow. Hey, Frank, how is life? Life is good. Thank you so much for asking. How are you? Very good, sir. Thank you so much and an honor to have you as well. So, Mike, we will start with you as the first question. So let's let's define what ethics is. If I were to go look at a dictionary, it is not put in the categories of a law or morality or a religion. It's actually about what we must or must not do and essentially always check are we doing or rather a benchmark of are we doing the best we can. Talk about digital, take the context of digital. How would you define ethical standards in the digital context? I think that's a great question. It's very relevant in the industry that we have today. And a lot of it, at least for us, it's really about respecting and honoring our customers and our customers' wishes. It's, it's in our information access age that we're in, the world's getting smaller and smaller. And we have more and more access to information, which really is a double-edged sword where we better understand our customers. But there's a fine line on when we are able to cross that line to where we're infringing on their privacy. So a lot of that, when it comes to business business ethics, it's about defining what should that relationship be that's being trust trustworthy and honoring our customers in a way that we, do, we continue to increase or develop deeper relationships with them without infringing on their personal lives or the, their time. And so developing a stronger business-honored relationship with each of them. Now, the way you defined, uh, Mike, I'll come to you, Frank. When I look at honesty or authenticity, that's like doing the right thing when nobody's looking. In digital, most of the time, no one is looking because you've got too much power in the hands of corporation. How would you see it any different than authenticity and uh, honesty, the, this aspect of ethics? What have you seen since you are literally you know, going deeper into this subject? Well, and I think I mean that's a it's a great question because I think that that's where too where we are, especially uh, in the United States, where we are crossing that ethical boundary even too far, where we're starting to see regulations pop up, which is the CCPA, the California Consumer Protection Act, that's doing more to protect our the, the consumer data and our customers' data. So you're right. There are a lot of things that we can do that are behind the scenes where our customers may not have direct visibility to, but they actually feel it. If you look at customer experience, they're actually feeling that experience that they're having uh, interacting with each of their customers. And that's, cre- and that's creating a relationship or it's creating an impression on do they want to or do they not want to do business with each of those, each of those companies. So I think we have to be really careful with how do we mine? How do we go through social media? How do we capture that data? And then what do we actually do with it? Because it does make a difference on how our relationship is or starts out or, or remains with our customers. 
Frank, what's your view? Yeah, so um, your, your original question is how should we define ethical standards for digital? And, um, and I, I find that uh, the, the, the question itself might even lead in the wrong direction. It could lead to, to checklist mentality because if you then stick to the standards, then obviously you're, uh, you're good. When the, the topic is too ambiguous and it is also too sensitive um, in, in society at the moment, um, to, to just follow a couple of rules and thinking you're okay, because that is when the problem, the problem starts. The, the central construct in ethics is the construct of a dilemma. And then Mike already pointed out one of the key dilemmas in digital. You'd like to know your, your customers really well and do the best for them, but at the same time, that can easily cross the, the, the creepy line. So if you think about ethics in, in digital, um, the key is to, 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 to highlight what is the essential dilemma that we're, uh, that we're looking at here. And, and the people hate dilemmas because dilemmas put you on the spot and there's no clear, there's no clear way out. But uh, I think we should see dilemmas actually as a, as a positive thing. Uh, one, it means that you finally understand the fundamental nature of what you're dealing with is at the bottom of, 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 of persisting problems usually is a, is a dilemma. And second of all, and that is the really important thing, thing uh, dilemmas force you to stop and think. It's like, hang on, what is, what is the issue here and how do I need to deal with it? So but more important than standards, I find the understanding of what, what dilemmas are we, are we dealing with here. Is it the needs of the few versus the needs of the many? Is it knowing your customers um, um, versus crossing the creepy line? Is it what is the dilemma in, in, in Silicon Valley? Often it's like getting it out. Uh, versus getting it right, um, what, what's the typical ethical dilemma you're dealing with? I think that's the, the central construct. So, Frank, do you think then it becomes fuzzy because it becomes too context-specific on how you will, in a given context, understand or outline the dilemma, and then you start thinking ethics versus doing the right thing, as I said in the very beginning, when no one is looking? Because the creepy line is crossed, because people get too eager to either become successful or to make a profit or try to compete and win in the race, but not focusing on doing the right thing. Is that we are saying that a humanity is in a degradation path? That's why this is happening or we do not have a clarity. What's that creepy line and it is and, and make it obvious enough that people don't cross it? Yeah, so the, the, the creepy line is real. Uh, the creepy line is always near, uh, but the creepy line simply is fuzzy. Um, when you say, like, you know, it doesn't make the, um, doesn't that make, if you think about the lemmas, doesn't that make uh, the whole thing a little bit ambiguous and fuzzy? That is the essence of ethics. Um, um, ethics seldom is a set of rules that you need to follow in order to do the right thing. There's, there's more often than not, it is, um, it's ambiguous, it is fuzzy, it is pl- Pluralistic. Uh, that means that not not everybody feels the same way of what is the right thing uh, to do, um, and you see that. But I don't see that. I don't think we're in a, a path of degradation here. It just starts to become clear that um, with the huge impact that digital technologies have, not only on the business, on society, that in different parts of the world and in different cultures, we start to think differently of what actually is the right thing to do, and that is what we need to keep in mind: is that there is no single answer to this. The moment you define standards, and then you think like, okay, if I stick to these standards, then we're good. That's the moment where it starts to go wrong, because we close our eyes for, uh, for other opinions or other, other emotions about the topic. So, Mike, this could bring to an interesting question. I gave you a project where I say you have no specific boundaries defined. You do not have a definition of what and right is wrong. Talk to your inner self and figure it out. And then when the mess happens, we will deal with it. That's how it sounds like how we'll have to deal with ethics. But do you think that's how can any business or any any part of the society ever exist if we just keep it fuzzy by design? And I think that that's part of where the challenge that we are today, and it's a fine balance, but, and I do believe it's a fine balance between being ethical with information and how do we use it versus what uh, what our customer experience is going to feel. So, for example, if, if I'm a call center and 
I am mining data from, from social networks, and then I use that data to reach out to customers. What's that fine line between contacting them based upon their personal preferences or vacations that they just went on that I was able to mine that data on or infringing on their privacy and offending them that I not only have their information, but I'm I'm calling it out and using it and impacting that customer relationship. Uh, and, And so I think that that's that fuzzy line area is, back to your original question, is what's right is right or what's wrong is wrong, but what is... What do our, our customers feel and think about it? I think that that's where that line continues to be fuzzy. So, Frank, could you take this case and deconstruct it like what Mike mentioned, that a call center calls mm-hmm. with social media information, and they, they want to use it and use the preference to move the sale forward or whatever else, to even serve them better. But yeah. there is no direction given. How would you deconstruct and say whether it was an ethical thing to do or not, and what's the boundary we should draw? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, let let me answer that that question on two levels, on a like on a on a macro level and on a on a micro level, in order to deconstruct it. Um, on the on the macro level, it it is simply how the world works. There's uh, and we see that with all kinds of new introductions of of technologies. In in this case, first new stuff comes to the market, and then uh, we learn by making mistakes. Um, all the issues that we have around face recognition, for instance, are, um, are, are are part part of that. So, it's there's something new that is possible, and then um, yeah, we we mess up in all kinds of different ways. Then regulation starts to kick in. We are there at the moment with uh, with AI. The EU uh, launched its white paper on AI regulation actually uh, today, and then we learn on how to do the right thing by resolving conflicts between the regulator and. Um, um, and the users and providers of technology. And then just over time, technology becomes part of the social infrastructure, and, and we learn through the best practices that we've developed over time. Um, for instance, in, um, in the operating systems of Android and of, of Apple on, on your iPhone, there's now tools built in that will help you to make use of your mobile phone in a more responsible way and not completely glued to it. So it's it's just a process of of time how we learn. On the on the micro level, what you can do as an individual business, there there really is a, uh, there's a process of three steps uh, steps here that 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 will make that you that you figure this out and then behave in the, in the most responsible ways. One, you think things through to a reasonable extent. And the key word here is reasonable. You can never think through everything um, and see all uh, and see all consequences. So uh, after you've, uh, you've you've thought things through to a reasonable extent, you monitor for unintended consequences. What is happening with this technology or this practice that we that we implemented? Um, so actively monitor how stuff is working out. And then the third step is that the moment you find unintended consequences, even if it is not legally your issue from an ethical perspective the third step is that you take responsibility to fix those to fix those unintended consequences because you were the one who brought in that 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 way of working or that specific technology and that's that's how you deal with it um um from a from an organizational perspective think things through monitor for unintended consequences take responsibility that's the list of three Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And when we come back, Mike, how about trying to operationalize what Frank mentioned? Suppose you had to deploy this framework, uh, whatever the steps that uh, Frank uh, mentioned uh, as a response to my last question. How would you go about it? Because what we talk on this show and maybe what you talk among the leadership in your ivory tower would not fix the ethical issues. That will still be a discussion. But you will still have to build a loosely built or a loosely connected box or a framework, if you will, which will then be offered as guidelines or guardrails to your people and with some feedback mechanism in place so you come to know where people are taking responsibility and coming back and reporting that we cross the line and then there is where we need to fix and then there needs to be communication. So I hope you understand where I'm going with this is to how do you operationalize management of ethics? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. 
Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog All. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, so based on the, the description or deconstruction that Frank did, Mike, if you were to take this back and operationalize ethics management in your company, what would that look like? I think it's a great question. One of the things that I, that I would do is maybe start with finding the delicate balance between a, a constant and effective feedback loop with whether it's our customers, whether it's our processes, how are we how are we doing and navigate very sensitively and closely. In addition to marrying that feedback loop, our processes and what we see are the regulations that we're trying to adhere to, whether it's privacy laws, privacy regulations, CCPA, GDPR, any uh, any of those best practice guidelines that that help give us boundaries on what and we sh- what we should and what we shouldn't do to make sure that we're we're being ethical. So, and then with a from a feedback loop process is just ensure that we're asking on a regular basis each step along the way. So in the event that we are going too far, we're asking enough questions that prevents us from going too far in an unethical manner to where we can't either re-step, reposition, or change our approach to make sure that we're being very careful on what are we doing in the digital environment so that we're protecting our customers' data and being very sensitive to it so that we don't have to either do governmental reporting or go down the road where we're, co- where we're contacting all of our customers because we did have a breach or we did do things that are imp- inappropriate. And so I think the feedback loop process is good in understanding how we're going to go about it and how we're going to con- constantly ask our customers or ask those impacted how do they feel about it along the way and continue to receive feedback. So in this uh, operationalization playbook, if you will, that you laid out, it also is very human being centric because if someone who's crossed the boundary line or their buddy has crossed the boundary, the ethical boundary, what's the likelihood of that feedback ever coming to you? And if it doesn't come to you, you would never know and does the degradation or, or ethical boundaries are you know, smashed as a result. So we, we, didn't, we didn't make progress then. We are just almost at the mercy of a human's emotion and the relationship where they want to protect their coworker. But as an organization, we are um, at fault, and we have to take responsibility. First of all, we will come. We will, only when we come to know is when we can accept responsibility. And secondly, should we take responsibility because someone did not tell us? I think we should. I mean, it's, it's, and I think that's the eth- ethical piece. Is whenever we're told that we crossed the line or or we crossed an ethical boundary, it is it is complete responsibility, whether it was in, intended uh, or, or not. And I think that that's where we do need to, to uh, take complete responsibility and, and rectify the situation. And whether that's I mean, is it our customers telling us? Is it somebody else in the organization that's, whether it's a buddy system that's trying to keep us honest, that's uh, creating a culture where anybody has the ability to raise their hand and say, I'm not sure I feel comfortable with this process or this approach so that we, we can have good, consistent dialogue around are we doing the right thing at the right time for not only our people, but also the environment, our customers, uh, and the people that we have their data from. And so, yes, I think that we do need to have that open environment and that culture that we can continue to question our processes. But then when we 
when we're told or somebody questions whether we cross the line, yeah, I think we intend it or not. I think we need to raise our hand and say, yes, we did do something inappropriate, take responsibility for it, and communicate it. Now, listening to the way Mike operationalized it, or at least laid out the playbook, and also explained some of the questions I asked. So, Frank, if you were to come in as $2,000 an hour consultant and help optimize what Mike's ethics operationalization plan is, where would you poke holes, and how would you fix it? Yes, so um, Mike, I think, uh, had, a, had a wonderful way of answering the previous question by saying that you also reach out to others. It's not that you sit and wait until somebody raises their hand and say, like, hey, I don't agree with this. It's, it's your responsibility to actively ask people, uh, what, what do you think of this, before, before you implement something and, and also after you do this and, and see, see how things work out. Um, and, um, um, but we, we we also should 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 focus on that on that first step, thinking things through to a reasonable extent. And there's four questions, and this is a hierarchy. There's four questions you need to answer uh, to to yourself and then in, in in discussion with others um, uh, before you embark on uh, on any digital initiative where you suspect there are ethical consequences, indeed, intended or unintended. And the the lowest level the lowest level of of ethical awareness, the first question to answer, really is around um, is around regulations. Um, uh, are there any are there any rules and laws that we need to comply to? And Mike named a number of examples that plays play in his industry. Um, but that is really the that's that's only the first question. It's um, you let yourself be driven by what is allowed and what is not allowed. It's a fairly low level of ethical awareness. The, the next question, a little bit higher up already, is that you ask yourself. What risk are we introducing? Are we introducing risk for ourselves in terms of reputation risk, or are we risk, are we introducing risk for our customers, um, or our citizens, or our patients, clients, whatever you want to want to call this? And that's a lot better already uh, because you uh, are driven in your behaviors by um, what the effect you have on others, but it is still negative. You're still trying to avoid something. The next two questions are a little bit higher up. They're more mature, and they're positive in nature. Um, so that's what you're trying to achieve. What is the right thing to do? And um, the third question, uh, so one question up in the hierarchy, the third question is, uh, do we make a difference here? Do we make a difference in the lives of our customers, of our patients, of our, of our, our citizens? Um, what, is the, what is the positive that we're creating with it? And then the top question, the highest level question, which is also the most difficult one to answer, is um, how does this, what we're doing here, match with the values that we have. Um, if I look myself in the eye as a person, as a responsible person, or as a, an executive team, or as an organization, if we look each other in the eye, is this what we truly believe ourselves is, um, is the best thing that we can do and the best value that we can, uh, that we can deliver? And uh, ethical decision-making, trying to do the right thing, um, regardless of what the actual right thing is, is, effect, is, is, is structurally and effectively going through these four questions. That would be, um, even before you start to think about um, how do you organize for this and when, what policies do you need to have, etc., um, even before you think about this, that is, that is the core exercise to go through. It's, it's a hierarchy of intentions. So the four questions that you mentioned, most of them look like things which should happen at the leadership level. But what do I tell a team lead on the floor? What do I tell a manager of a few people to do? Are They, they are, I'm not saying they're not capable, but they may mm-hmm. not have the exposure to be able to effectively ask that questions of themselves and have clarity in the answer so that they can make sure that ethics is not just discussed on a lunch and learn session. It actually gets adopted on the ground. What questions yeah. or what should they do any different than what the four questions you said we should ask ourselves? Yeah, we've, um, we've, we've, we've learned about this from, uh, from Gartner clients, who uh, the, the ones that at least are more advanced uh, with, with this on how they do this. 
they see um, they see digital ethics less of a set of policies that is being rolled out. They see it as a continuous program of having discussions, and um, not necessarily led by the executives, um, uh, but by a community in all its diversity. So one of the the the, the, the ideas that we picked up um, is that you can um, you can send out a story every two weeks or every month or with any periodicity. The story highlights a certain dilemma. Um, and it can be a real one that's actually playing in the organization. It can be something that plays in another a similar organization or something that you make up that, that could be a reality moving forward. And the story always ends with the same question. What would you do? Uh, and then you ask um, the, the, the various stakeholders uh, in the organization on the higher level, but also on the lower level, the team leads and the, and the experts in certain fields, uh, you ask uh, that question, what would you do? And then you collect the, and then you discuss the, the input. And the idea there is that through the diversity of this group of people, uh, you get different takes on the specific dilemma that is being introduced. And uh, you start to make people aware of that there's dilemmas, but also that there's uh, that there's perfectly valid ways of how to deal with those dilemmas. So you make people comfortable with the ambiguity of the of the matter. Moreover, digital ethics becomes an an institutionalized body of knowledge um, that people people live and breathe and, and and discover over time of what it means to do the, what 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 it means to do the the right thing instead of a, a dry set of policies that is being rolled out and that people. People see there's yet another set of rules to, to follow and try to uh, try to avoid. Um, so that is something that we picked up that uh, that works really well for organizations that are um, that, that are more leading in this space. So, uh, Mike, what all have you truly tried on the ground in this space? What worked? What did not work? Where do you struggle? Uh, and I really appreciate one of the, some of the things that, that Frank said is what well, he talked about is it, practice, practices and what we would do, is, at least in our organization, we call them guiding principles, uh, very much the same. So they're not just topics and they're not just words on a wall somewhere. They're actually guiding principles. And I loved his four, his four questions. And so as you have ethics training in an organization so that you can put best practices in, in, pra- in place, it becomes common language and it's the really guiding principles. So it, it's not just the executive team, but it's throughout the entire organization, team leads, line level, that as they're working on initiatives, as they try to make decisions, have those four guiding principles, those, those four questions in the background. This is, are the decisions that we're making following these guiding principles. First, industry regulations. Fourth, is it what we believe we should be doing? And the, and the other two also is, and use those as guiding principles. And I think what you do, is, and what we have found, is the more you can empower your people with these type of guiding principles, the less you have to worry about crossing the line because now you have your entire organization. You have an army of people that are trying to do the right thing and following guiding principles that we put into place that keep them in a a safe place and we're making sure that we're doing the right thing at at all times. So I appreciate it from a guiding principle perspective because it's setting the, the guardrails for our people that they can be successful. That you used the perfect term there. You used the term guardrails. So it should not be seen as a roadblock, which is what happens if you do this after the fact, and it is just annoying uh, to people. It is like um, 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 it's like rules based. But you talk about principles that are that are guardrails. I think that's the perfect way of putting it.
Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, uh, Mike, what about the dilemma? I know we use the word dilemma quite a few uh, places here during the show. Uh, what do you do for the people who want to do a good job, come to work, and help move the organization forward? We are saying that ethical-related uh, guardrails we should put, but that's responsibility of the leadership. But then at the top only, we have the most stress, and essentially we push the rest of the organization towards growth and profitability and take measures to get there. And that's where we knowingly or unknowingly cross the ethical boundaries. And if someone is not willing to follow people at the lower level, they might feel that their job is in jeopardy. Sit in the shoes of that individual who is supposed to take orders but is getting conflicting messages. What do you expect they are going to do? Their survival comes first. They will go unethical. How do you prevent that? I think that's a, a, a great question and a dilemma that occurs every day. And so part of it is is what we're talking about is it, at times it feels like competing priorities or competing goals. Do you want me to win and accomplish what you've set what I've set out to do or what you want me to do versus do you want me to be completely ethical? And it's not black and white. It's it's not an or situ- situation. It's an and. And that's where yes we want you to accomplish both things, meaning accomplish your goals, and we need to be ethical at all times. I think that, that's where more dialogue is required at all levels in the organization, so that oftentimes we have to reinvent ourselves. We have to understand that by, for example, that's why there's spamming laws, is if you were to say, all I want is results and not ethics, then I'm going, to, I'm going to spam, whether it's voicemail, email, uh, cold calls. You, you may get better results or at least better short-term results, but your long-term outcome is not going to be sustainable or you're not going to have the right customer experience or you're going to cross some ethical boundaries. I think that's where more dialogue is required, to, whether it's reinventing processes but being open between, at all, between all levels of the organization. So it's the and. How do we accomplish both? Because both, both are important goals, and they're not mutually exclusive. It is an and situation, and I think that that, that is a normal, everyday conflict that occurs in most organizations. Frank, what, based on your experience, as you may be talking to uh, and your group within like the ethics side of Gartner, um, have you, as you've spoken to different clients, what are their top challenges in in making this ethics become the very DNA of the organization? The um, the, the top challenge really is how do we get started with uh, with this? And we typically see two approaches. Um, we see the approach that an organization. Uh, comes up with a number of uh, principles and then tries to implement them. And then principles by nature need to be broadly applicable, but but also need to op- need to be oper- operationalized. And then they see that uh, those um, those principles don't work. People find the principles hard to hard to interpret in, into their daily work. And we also see the other approach is that organizations try to completely in a detailed manner, try to des- describe exactly what needs to be done, and then on page 129, try a little, come to the conclusion that they're still scratching the surface, and it also doesn't uh, doesn't work. Those are the the two, two the, the two biggest challenges. It's either too high level, or uh, or 
too too detailed. And the um, uh, how, how we deal with it in in workshops and in talking with clients on the phone is exactly what I mentioned before and what Mike is saying as well. It's a continuous dialogue. How can you create the and um, the the end opportunity of of what you're trying to achieve. How can you do? Um, how can you be a profitable business um, within the guardrails of of ethical behavior? Um, how can ethical behavior actually become a competitive differentiator, so that being wildly successful in the market is because of your ethical use of data and the ethical use of technology? Those are some some more advanced continuous discussions that um, that help break either the uh, the two the 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 the, 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 um, the issues with either the two high level principles that are not operationalized or two operational set of set of policies that uh, that don't cover everything I, I hope that makes sense so frank what are some of the ways we can draw out some of the metrics the reason i say that what you cannot measure you cannot improve so alongside, mm-hmm. if suppose you went in and spoke to an organization and said, do this training and that training, but they, if they don't have a holy grail type of a blueprint, if they don't have some roadmap, if they don't have metrics along the way and some checkpoints, then it will remain a pipe dream. So do you think we are at that point now with something as fuzzy as ethics that we can lay all of this out, including a measurable set of parameters and metrics around it? Um, yes, in fact, uh, this is uh, this is a, a question that uh, that more um, that more clients start to ask. Like, how do how do we start measuring uh, this? And remember that um, that that little hierarchy that I was talking about, where you start asking yourself about what is it about rules and compliance, then about risk, then making a difference, and then following your values. It, it turns out that you can um, you can put metrics on. Um, on those levels, you can look at the, um, you can look at how well you're doing with compliance. What is the cost of compliance, and what is the, what's the the uh, the estimated compliance exposure that you have? Um, to which extent is your number of compliance incidents um, decreasing uh, because you are more ethically aware? In terms of risk that we were talking about, um, you can start by measuring on how many, what percentage of projects have undergone like a critical ethical review, um, or um, um, you can look at the um, uh, maybe also the uh, the revenue loss that you've had because of uh, of things that have gone wrong, um, and see how you minimize that. In terms of making a difference, you can look at the, the brand recognition that you have. Are you being recognized as an ethical company and do customers turn to you uh, because you are more reliable and more trustworthy than, than others? And um, um, in, in terms of values, it, it, um, interestingly enough, it turns out that uh, more and more investors uh, start to be interested in the values of a company as, as driving the behaviors. And there's a link to be made between to the extent how you, to which you live your values in real life and long, long-term shareholder value expectations. Um, purpose and values is becoming more and more important for investors. So that's a very good question. You can indeed link um, ethical discussion in um, in an organization towards KPIs and measuring um, how you're uh, how you're doing. There's there's just one little twist here. Um, it it has as it has everything to do with with intention. If you are behaving ethical just for the reason that you want to score well on your KPIs, and then it is just another way of gaming and just another way of lip service, as we've seen um, already. If the goal is um, to, to deliver value and then be a valuable contributor to society as a business uh, in, how you, in how you make a difference, and you measure whether you're doing that well, that's the right way of doing things. So intention is really important here. Then it shouldn't be, it shouldn't lead to 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 metric, metrics-driven behaviors. So, uh, Mike, when you look at getting something like this adopted, while we can appeal to a human emotion at the very at all levels, for that matter, what would be an incentive? For someone to shift from, not that they want to be unethical, but they were not caring about ethics to start caring about ethics. What do you think would be the adoption challenges and what incentives would actually, in your view, work? Or maybe you've tried certain things 
in that regard? What 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 approach to adoption actually worked for you? What is your playbook that worked for you? And I, that's a great question. I, and I think uh, Frank started to uh, allude to some of the practices that, that we use, which is really balance. And so if you do just business performance metrics, for an example, if you're not careful, what you're going to measure, you're, what you begin to measure is where you're going to start to see results, and the results can go too far. And so I appreciate the comment where we're talking about measure, measuring the different aspects of it, and there's, there's hard metrics and there's soft metrics. So from a hard metric perspective, as Frank uh, noted, that you can measure revenue, and then I would also in- encourage measuring a customer satisfaction score such as an NPS. So the net promoter score, so that we're actually seeing what is our trust index? What is our customers thinking of us based upon our behavior? So whether it's internal KPIs, revenue, and NPS customer measurement, in addition to some of the softer skills or some of the softer questions that we're going to ask is, are we making the best decisions for our people, our customers, our clients, and what is their experience? And if you're able to put a, a well-rounded process in place where you're not just where, um, measuring business performance, then you'll start to get a more well-rounded view. And we're not only recognizing, but we're also rewarding our people for being well-rounded to ensure that we're staying ethical and we're also finding the right balance instead of just being tipped over towards one. Now... If I were to ask you, uh, Frank, if all the things that you mentioned, and we just spoke about ethics, and the, the, the topic of the show is uh, how to deal with ethics for digital. Is the digital word coming up because it has created more opportunities for us to be unethical, or this is a different animal altogether on multiple fronts? That's why... This new paradigm is to be looked at differently than our traditional businesses. Yeah, so digital ethics, and I think that that is the good news, is um, is an applied form of ethics. It's um, um, all the all the ethical discussion that that we have had in the world for the last four thousand years um, basically um, uh, applies in a, in, um, in in that sense. So um, it is not it's not entirely new. Um, having said that, um, moving forward, particularly with the the impact of artificial intelligence. Um, uh, it does it, it, it does redefine a, a, a little bit on um, um, some 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 fundamental concepts in in ethics of um, of responsibility of uh, accountability and um, uh, what it means to do the to do the right thing. As all of a sudden there is artificial intelligence algorithms out there that learn and that behave and that are not moral that are not moral actors in the in the world you cannot you cannot hold an algorithm accountable for the behavior that it uh, that it has and that's 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 going to be the new bit in the years in the years to come how do we deal with ethical behavior of of artificial intelligence and that is that is both scary and exciting um, you mentioned with the world being digitalizing um, whether um, that then is uh, introduces more risk. Um, our, our look at the years to come, in in general, when it is when it is about the impact of of technologies on on the business, but particularly on society, is that in the years to come, is that digital technologies make everything that is good a lot better. Uh, whatever you think is uh, is good, and everything that is bad is going to be a lot worse. So the the one thing that technologies do is that they amplify the consequences and they amplify the effects of the behaviors and the choices that we that the behaviors that we display and the choices that that, that we make. Um, that's going to be our next ten years. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And Mike, when we come back, how about we explore the area of uh, the different ecosystem or value chain partners that we work with. When we go in digital, especially, we are working with many partners. It could be outsourcing partner. It could be value chain partners. And the customer sees the outcome of all of us working together like a village serving a customer. 
you have control to some extent and influence far more influence within your organization, but you have less of that across your value chain partners. They may have their own profitability goals. Their leadership style might be different, but still to the customer, we all come across as one cohesive unit. Is there a way, is there an approach that we can utilize so that we have one swiping, hopefully a swiping fix for ethical issues so that everyone benefits in the process versus us just trying to be the trailblazers and other people don't follow. So we, the other people become weakest link and the customer suffers. What have you done regarding that? How have you been thinking about that? And what should the listeners think in this regard? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and discuss. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, uh, Mike, how do we get the whole village, which is your organization and other ecosystem partners, to level up on the ethical? Uh, the approaches they deal, they use for handling ethics so that we the outcome is the best it can be and let's take digital as the context. I think we've done a really good job up to this point talking about ethics from an internal perspective and I think that to your point is it's much, it's actually much broader than that. We're in, an, we're in a world today where we don't just operate inside our own ecosystem. We need partners and where we use the term partners versus vendors, we, we truly need partners that share the same values and goals, whether it's uh, from an ethical perspective, trust, uh, the same value of our customers. We need to create a, a broader ecosystem uh, that where we can create partners that share the same values, whether they're core values, uh, customer values, ethics, integrity, across all of our ecosystems and our customers. So as we're choosing whether the right AI vendor or cloud partners or uh, marketing, whether it's Marketo or Salesforce or different partners that our customers are actually going to see or potentially have visibility into, they have, to be an, they have to be partners that are an extension to our values and our value system so that our customers are getting the same experience whether they're working directly with us or if they're going to one of our partner sites that, that they have interaction with also. So I think it's important to understand that the ecosystem today is much broader and those values need to be shared across all partners and, and that we choose our partners carefully to make sure that we're following our ethical boundaries. And to that end, Frank, is there any, like you, you had a kind of framework or the four questions, but when you go across ecosystem and you want to get the whole village to step up on their ethical standards, would there be a playbook for that? I, th- I think the playbook is, is one of leadership. I, I agree with, uh, with Mike. And this, this does require a little bit of a, of a mind shift. Um, in the last decades, as leaders, we've all grown up that we are responsible for running a business. And running a business is about, is about money. And it was, in that sense, very transactional. And uh, leaders um, are hesitant, uh, generally, or did grow up in a hesitant way, 
uh, to talk about values and, and larger uh, larger social themes because it might alienate part of the market. It is best to stay neutral as a business. And we do see that shift, and that's why I was so happy with Mike's answer talking about it's about real partnerships and, and shared values. There's more and more pressure on leaders today to actually speak out and be clear about the values. The market is uh, is expecting that. We know from surveys that um, that two-thirds of employees want their employer to be clear about where we stand with the choices that we make and the impact that we have on, um, um, on society. And, and technology is a very particular theme uh, there. We also know from other surveys is that about 70% of customers want to know from the brands that they like and that they uh, that they want to trust, want to know from the brands what they stand for um, as well. So leadership standing up, the leaders standing up and, and speaking out about what they believe in and what they find important is, um, that's that's the mind shift to, uh, to, to go through. The values and the purpose of an organization are, um, are not only going to drive the, uh, the ethical behaviors, but are just going to drive um, the business value proposition moving forward. Mike, would you recommend any changes in the structure of the organization, the processes or I mean, policies, yes, that would be ethical policies anyways, but how about the very functioning of the organization? Do you think that has any bearing to the level of ethics someone can realistically adopt? I think it's constant, it goes back to what we talked earlier about constant dialogue. It's about it really is having the right balance of guiding principles. It's putting the right guardrails in place. It's empowering our people because we're in a process that we do today, we don't do tomorrow. And as we continue to reinvent ourselves, where we create new processes, we are creating an ecosystem internally and externally where everybody is, all of our partners, all of our internal people are following the same guiding principles and the same guardrails so that we are being ethical and we're doing the right thing. We're doing the right thing for for the, the organization as a whole, for our people, and for our customers, and we're, we're following those metrics. I think that that's the constant dialogue and open conversation in a safe culture that we empower, uh, empower our people to act and behave. One last question for you, Mark. What do you recommend the leaders in the different organizations do? Because they will be the ones who will be initiating this change related to ethics, looking at the digital context. What do you want them to fix in themselves so that they are ready to take charge and make their organizations ethical? One minute. Frank? Oh, this was to me. Okay, sorry. I was thought the question was for Mike. Yes. So um, it, is the, it is the task of leaders to ask difficult questions. So whenever somebody comes forward with an initiative and says we should do this and we should do that, then leaders should have the, the knowledge to, to, to have... Um, to, to, to have critical uh, critical questions about a particular initiative. Did you um, did you consider this? Did you consider that? Um, have you discussed this with others? Have you gone through the the ethical advisory board that uh, that we have? What was the outcome? They should demand for every single initiative that is being put forward that some kind of ethical review has been taking place. I think that is the most important thing leaders need to do. On behalf of the show and our listeners, thanks so much, Mike and Frank, for sharing your uh, thoughts on how organizations can fundamentally rethink and reset their approaches to how they handle ethics as they are trying to exploit digital. Thanks so much again. And listeners, please like us on Facebook, search for CTN. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter and join our LinkedIn group. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CTN. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>